Welcome well, to the after show. After show. <laughs> wow. That totally, I was like, awesome. okay. okay. Nice. That's our song. We're going to record that and uh, repeat that every episode in the future. But that's right. We're on the Meeple Syrup After Show. Designers Discussing Design, episode 84. And we're talking rule books. We just had uh, both Lance and Rodney uh, chat with us a little bit about what their thoughts were on rule books. And we're going to. Uh, continue the conversation because they brought up a lot of good stuff mm-hmm. and we want to also add uh, into the discussion uh, probably even earlier in the process because they often get to see games rule books when they're done but we also want to chat a little bit about even just making rule books and the process of uh, the designer's role in rule books maybe some real life stories uh, so that people have realistic expectations of how much control they might or might not have and all that kind of fun stuff. So uh, I know, Tiffany, you wrote down a bunch of stuff. What's one quote mm. from that book, book of quotes, that you, that really stood out to you that, uh, you know, from the, our time? There's can one. Say, can I just say before you do that that I'm super happy you're doing that? <laughs> well, I have to because otherwise I forget everything and it just is like a crazy mess in my brain. Um but yeah, so I actually, I tweeted some of the best quotes, I'm going to be nice. honest, to try and nice. hook people into the show. Sure. But there's, can I do one from Rodney and one from Lance? Sure, fine. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so from Rodney, I, I even like capitalized this um, and I tweeted it. It's player aids should always come with games. Mm. Like, 100%, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, wrote, somebody I wrote on, down player aids. I, yeah, somebody on Twitter was like, I don't know, the like fan-made ones are better. And Rodney just replied to them and was like, I don't care who makes it, like outsource it, whatever, but it needs to be included. And I think that's super true. And I also would add to it that like, if your game is for five players, include five player aids. <laughs> like, I can't stand it. Terraforming, so silly, Mars. Right? Terraforming Mars is two to four players. And the player aids are just cards, double-sided cards, and there's or no, they're single-sided cards, and there's four of them. So one player aid is actually four, like, playing cards, and so you lay them out, and they only include two sets of those cards for a four-player game. Well, because, I mean, you could be holding it up, and then I could see the other side. No, it's not double-sided. That's the problem. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, sorry. So, even, like... Even that would be dumb. So like, yeah. Come on. Um, so that was, my, that was my quote from, from Ronnie. And then from Lance, I just really... Um, I just really loved this one, which was, <laughs> you just retain that knowledge like a camel. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> okay, okay, something, something a little more relevant. Yeah, well, he was talking about how you when know. when you read a bunch of games and like you start, if you when you start playing a lot of games, you see a lot of similarities between mechanics and games and stuff like that. And so if you pull out a game and you just see it, like it kind of comes back to you. Um, and I think this was a tie-in to how we were talking about how if the game design is solid like you can if you've played a lot of games usually you can infer what's going to happen absolutely i think intuitiveness of like thinking through rules and having things lock in is a really important discussion um especially as a designer because you that is some of the 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 work that makes a game uh approachable right like it's less intimidating if you make rules that people can naturally after seeing it play out once, remember it. Like it feels normal. Yeah. It feels thematic. Like, oh, I can do this because I'm in this world. And so, you know, what are the different ways I can manipulate this, you know, right. die or or card or et cetera. If, if, mm-hmm. 
if you can weave in rules so that it feels natural um, mm-hmm. and feels immersive, I think people are, are going to appreciate and feel like the rules are less intimidating. Totally. And, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's really funny because on the chat right now, Rod Curry and TNAs are talking about when they run playtests of their own game, they look at their player aids because they don't remember the flow. And yeah. Toon just said that he doesn't remember which, which iteration or versions on the table. And that's the problem with me is that I store all information in my brain. And so it's all there. And if if we're playing a game, I have to try to figure out, okay, which which rule set are we playing by? And so a player is really helpful for me as well, because uh, if you've ever seen the ones for Belfort, the mats that you have, they actually start with, it says how much you get at the start. You know, it has all the numbers for starting right on that player aid, which for me was super helpful because I kept on having to set it up. Like in 2011, I think I set up Belfort something like a couple hundred times, right? Yeah. Um, Just to play it myself, but then also when we were teaching it and demoing at our conventions, that we'd have to set it up so much that if I didn't have those little numbers, I would have gone crazy because I'd been like looking through the rule books every time. Now, thankfully, Josh has a nice, that two-page spread with all the letters that Lance likes um, Mm -hmm. in there. So it's easy... But player aids are super important. In fact, I make a player aid before I write rules. Yeah, I was just um, going to say, definitely a design tip. I, I always roll with player aids earlier than final rules because oh, yeah. that you can adapt. You can change super quick. It can be a card or two. Yeah. So it's even just while you're printing out your cards anyways, throw mm-hmm. a few summaries of, of, you know, this icon does this. or And basically that's going to explain most of your game. And yeah, and when, because, yeah, go ahead, Tiff. You can use those player aids when you're doing playtests, when you're playtesting your own game. Because most designers, when you're doing playtests, especially of early revs of games, you don't have your rules written out. They're like they're like in notebooks and scratched out like bullet lists. They're not at a stage where you necessarily would share them. But if you have mm-hmm. player aids, you can give those to your players during a playtest. Yeah. The other thing about it is that for me, I find the player aids actually don't change that much. Uh, because the flow of the game is typically the same. It's the numerics of the balance that changes a lot for us. And so those numbers may change. Um, and just, you know, scratching them out on the player aid is really easy. Or they don't even, they are not even on the player aid because the player aid typically is, for us, is really just flow of the game. Um, although sometimes it does have numbers. Um, Madvana actually said something here that's really cool. She said... Um, and I've actually never seen it because I've never set up Marco Polo, uh, although I've played I it a Marco bunch of times. Polo. But Marco Polo apparently has a setup card uh, that mm-hmm. makes it uh, easy to set the game up. Yep. I've never seen it. Do you have it like handy, Daryl? Yeah, let me go grab my copy one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while yeah. Daryl gets a copy. Um, so yeah, apparently it helps you set up the game. So it shows the setup in a card format instead of having the game to leap through the rule book. Toon Ace has another helpful tip. So at his game design nights, he prints one page of the current rule set, and then he prints up, like, uh, he puts it in, like, a menu standee, those clear um, things from, like, Office Depot or whatever. Uh, He puts them on the table so everybody can see it, which I've also seen, and I really appreciate that if I'm playtesting. Because, like, if you don't want to print several plays, just make, like, a giant one. (laughs) That's like, this is the menu of actions you can take. It's funny, because I always remember games like, um, I don't know, like Hera and Zeus or something, where you know that if the other player is asking for the rules, they're going to shiv you in the back because they're looking for a specific rule for a card or something, right? So having one that's open for everybody to see would prevent that, you know, pre-knowledge of, you know, Sen's going to, you know, stab you in the back now. Yeah. I definitely... (laughs) 
that's something that um I and Lance had a really good point on that. And I wrote this down as well. You can always tell how sticky the rules of a game are by looking at the actual condition of the rule book after it's been played a few times. And if the rule book has like creases and it's not, it doesn't look brand new out of the box, that's a sign that there's something sticky going on with the game. So from a playtest standpoint, if you are doing blind playtests and you do have the chance to be there, I would definitely pay attention to that. Pay attention to how frequently people are saying, hey, can I see the rules? Or how many times people are picking up their player aids or something like that. Because if you notice that your players are constantly doing referrals back to stuff, it could be that something either in the game design of the board, like the graphic design, or maybe just a design itself is a little bit clunky and sticky. For sure. I mean, definitely there's, um, going back to Belfort again, just because Josh did such an awesome job on it. Um, I mean, we designed the game and then Josh really took all the rules and incorporated them into the board and into the player aid and into all these things that just make the game much easier to play. I mean, people are going to refer back to the rules because it's a, a big game. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, less than they would have had to if Josh didn't do the awesome work he did on the rest of it. So, yeah. I mean, there's such it's such a skill to translate all that stuff. And I, I look at it as communication. I've all, I always think communication being, you know, the big thing that we're trying to do is communicate our rules to the players that you cannot just do it verbally and you cannot just do it uh, in writing, written form. You have to do it graphically. Uh, the videos that Rodney does um, and everybody else does, like Paul Grogan does, those are great uh, if you learn that way. And that's the thing. I mean, it's multi-channeled input for people who learn in multiple different ways. There's mm -hmm. nobody that can tell me that, you know, video is the only way that it should be. Um, yeah. Great, but not for me. I actually don't learn well from video. I've never learned well from video. I Versus always, I, I always learn from video. Like, my, my go-to is, like, I can just throw a video on, and like a few minutes before, it'll all stick in my mind, and then I can just look in the rule book for just quick little reference point things. But I that, that I Rodney yeah. is a huge help on that. I mean, even back in the day, like board games with Scott, like that was yeah. like my go-to of how I learned like all my original games was like I just throw a board games with Scott game um, video and then know how to play a game. So uh definitely for me i'm one of those video people i also i just want to jump in and point out and show the cards so for instance like they throw in here this is a basic game setup but then the expert variant is on the nice. flip side of this card and this is a they have different cards uh in here so they also have for each player then a, a player aid that just has the game round the final scoring and then on the flip side what type of bonus actions you can do Right. Yeah. So each player has one of these, plus then there's a card in here that visually shows even just like which component they're talking about so that it confirms, you know, when brilliant. you're like, oh, what's that card or what's that token? Like, what's a contract or what's a, you know, right. so then they show the component right there and then show you like how much you need for setup. That's so like, huge. If you can't... Is, they, they have a, a great rule book, but one thing that I love... Uh, in games is that they have a game round summary on the uh, back. The back. So you can oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flip that. But then they also have, which is just like over-the-top awesomeness, is they also have a little supplement book. And the main reason that I love this is because of the rules. So on the back, they have all the different characters and what each one of them does so that you can just pass that sheet and be like, oh, like which character, you know, and yeah. just very quickly see that. And then they also have 
full explanation of all the symbols. Mm -hmm. So any type of symbol that shows up on a card, it's just explained on the on the supplement book. So that's awesome. There was one thing I wanted to point out that I don't. It, we, we talked a lot about setups and we talked a lot about reference. I think one if you're gonna use um, unique terminology in your game, uh, or even just basic terminology, like if you have different decks of different things, include a picture of that deck. Like, don't say like you have the resource deck and you have the uh, like worker deck. Like, show a picture of that deck, like the back of the cards, so that I know. Oh, it's this one. Because I've had some rule books where it's like there are twenty worker cards and then there are thirty resource cards, and there's no pictures, so I have to count the deck to figure out which one is which because the cards are themselves aren't, they don't give a big enough hint mm -hmm. essentially. Oh, so 100%, 100%. yeah, if, even if you can't include it on the player aid, at least having it on like page one of yeah. like what the contents of the game are, or even, I mean, the setup is even better for that, but sometimes you even want it before that. Like I know a lot of the uh, Aaliyah games does that, do that, but they don't always include the graphics, which annoys the snot out of me. So, yeah. So, what do you guys think of bolding text and capitalizing words that mean, like, resource deck or something like that? I, I personally, I bold the first instance and then have a, I have a, like, a glossary in the back. Because I don't like seeing, like, when I see a lot of um, capitalized text or bolded text, if you're, if you're writing out a game example, a gameplay example, the whole thing's in, in bold or the yeah. whole thing is like capitalized and it gets very difficult to read. So that's my solution. What do you guys think? What do you like to see? What do you do? I, I agree. I, the first instance, if it's bold, I'm great with that. Um, I like to see them continue capitalizing those key, like almost pronouns of a game mm -hmm. um, because it helps determine what is important. Like in, in, if it says draw a card from the resource deck and resource deck is capitalized, I know it's referring to the main resource deck. Um, and so that's that's a low example. But like maybe if there's a specific like um, you, have some, you have some real problems with that resource deck. <laughs> I just oh we've been playing a lot of card games lately. We played a card game recently and I was just like, oh no, it was oh god, it was um fifty first state. We played mm -hmm. the original fifty first state. Oh yeah, okay. And and I am so it's so it was very interesting and I'm want to play I again. The, I heard the new edition's really good. Like that they tightened it up even. We well we've rented it. We haven't played it yet. Um, because I really wanted to play it, but it was it's really interesting to see where Portal and Ignacy have like come because you have Fifty First State and then you have Imperial Settlers and then you have. Um, I don't know if New Era came before or after Imperial Settlers. I can't think of it right now. New Era came first. Yeah, a little bit before. And then you have 51st State, uh, Master Set. And the evolution of their rulebook writing is, is, is a great example because there's very similar mechanics, Imperial Settlers yeah. and 51st State. Like, and it's the evolution of the mechanic across those those games but also um, how it's taught probably too right yeah and it, it's exactly it. it's how it's how the rule book is laid out um and so if you are a designer and you want to see how a game can evolve um even a published game i would definitely recommend downloading the rule books for 51st state the original then new era then imperial settlers and then 51st state master set because each one is just they make big leaps yep. in, in regards That's to how that 
written. Yeah, that's a really good example of people seeing that. I think I think one thing that's important, I don't know if you talked about this while I was gone looking for Marco Polo that was like an inch away from me. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I looked everywhere else. But I, I'm curious uh, if you talked much about when you write rules in the design process. And then also, um, have we talked about like how much hands-on no, you can talk about that now. Let's talk about that now. Okay, well, I mean, because, like, for instance, right now, like, one of the things I'm excited about um, being part of IDW is, like, my role will be helping work alongside the designers and make sure, like, for instance, the rules are really tight by, like, helping in that regard and being, you know, an extra l layer of someone going through the rules because that's yeah, an area just that... just do it for me? Can you just do well, it? Well, <laughs> and that. I am that. But the beauty is like some companies like uh, like Lance was saying don't even have anyone in place to do that. So you need to, you know, recruit a friend or someone because I I it is not only crucial to have you know someone do a blind rule set but a lot of people to look at it. So it needs yeah. to be play tested and recorded like how you do that. I know for instance like right now and I I mentioned uh Sagrada just posted um with their update that they want you know, as many people as possible, you know, take a look at the rules. And if you catch anything, please let us know. Like, we want to catch yeah, that before crowd, it gets Crowdsourcing is awesome for that kind of thing because people are going to interpret things differently. Did I ever tell you the, the English versus the English interpretation of some rules? Oh. No, but I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, and I mean English as in Britain and English yeah. as in Canadian. And just even even just how the difference in culture changes how you interpret something like take half of this and then. Yeah. And it was really neat to see how everybody in Britain interpreted a rule one way and everybody in Canada and the United States interpreted it a different way just because of how we semantically we speak differently. Yeah, know, we how we break words. it down. Yeah, it's actually a, a really interesting thing. I mean, when you think about it, and I, I'm going to get a little bit professor here because this is my area of study is communication, right? So um, when, we, when we communicate from person A to person B, communication is really when we have an idea that A wants to transfer to B and that they encode that B decodes properly and gets the same idea that A had, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what rule writing is all about. Yep. And that's what, and, and all the little tools we have in terms of graphics, in terms of iconography, in terms of words, in terms of video, all of those are just different channels to encode and then decode. The problem comes when one is wrong you know when somebody yeah. encoded it differently or when say rodney and he doesn't because he he does his research uh so he'll ask you know is this how we're supposed to interpret this rule if he has but there's it? a lot there's a lot of videos out there that have that slight don't. rules wrong here or there because they're doing the best they can but they're also going off of what they've been given so right. they don't yeah. necessarily have access to designers like rodney does right, right. So. well yeah i mean rado run through rado gets a lot of flack for that and yep. rado i mean he gets that's that's like his job now um, is he yeah. gets, gets, he gets sent games continually and he has oh, to yeah. learn them so super quick, super quick. And then he has to like play it on camera. So it's really tough. Cause I'm everybody in the history of board gaming. And if, if you haven't done this, you're lying has yeah. taught a game, yeah. played the game. And then like halfway through the game goes, Oh wait, I, I explained this wrong. Or, Oh wait, yeah. I, I forgot, forgot something. Yeah, and you do it right before you're about to do the thing. Well, because you you started points. thinking about <laughs> you start thinking about oh I wish I could oh wait that is a rule you know what I mean like things like that. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I, it's, it's one of those things where it's just, it's human nature and there's a lot of information to process. And the important thing is, is to just, you know, deal with it and, and re, you know, don't, don't freak out and lie about it. But um, it's another thing on the clarity of rule books to see if, if you do have the ability to do a bunch of blind play tests and you can record or see it, see how many times that happens in the blind play test. Like if you are continually every blind play test of the game that has happened, if there is a phase in the game where somebody goes, oh, I forgot to teach this or, oh, we did this wrong. Like that's a problem. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Huge problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's funny because blind play tests aren't actually for the game design. It's for the rules. No, it's oh, yeah. for the rules. You guys didn't know that. <laughs> I know yeah. you guys know that, but some people out there are thinking, I'm blind testing my game, but you're not. You're yeah. blind testing your rules. Your rules. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and you've already heard, you know, there's a lot of people that do a great job of just, they even just want to read over the rules. And they can, uh, through reading, not even moving parts around, they can edit, they can think through, you know, here's a question mark. If you start seeing trends of questions, when you send out, your rules to people and they start trending on there's there's you know ambiguity or confusion like uh, I, I forget i think it was rodney that said you know just you're gonna have to address that one way or another even if you think it's right at the end of the day if multiple people are running into a problem there you're gonna have to find a new way around trying to communicate that and that yeah. might just be an illustration that might be just you know a small edit that might be where you're communicating or or some word choices, but the reality is that's why you send it out there, is because you want to see you know some trends. And I I'm gonna throw out an, a a personal request out there. I have a, a game with Stephen Sauer for uh, we designed Tower of London with WizKids. And if there's anyone this week that's listening in that's willing to take a look over rules, uh, we just got sent it this morning from Zev uh, to look over the rule book. If uh, if you're willing to take a look. Uh, please contact me, and uh, this will be an example of me sending out some rule book uh, and trying to hear from you. Uh, if, if anyone out there likes doing that, please uh, let me know. I'd love your help. Yeah, and that's that's huge too. There's the people. If you enjoy reading rule books, go on BGG, and there's like a playtest forum, and and just start reading people's rule books that ask for it. Yeah, um, lots of designers would appreciate your help. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and lots of us would will show you our appreciation in lots of different good positive ways. So, mm -hmm. like giving you free games. And things ah! like that. I know, right? So, um, I I I can't say enough about um, you know playtesting, revising your rules. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of you know the English language as a tool in communication, and I I, I just want people to to understand that when somebody doesn't understand something. It is about them, but it's also about your rules. Yeah. yeah. Communication is a two-way street, so you can't get that stuck in your head. Like Daryl says, if there's a trend where people yeah. are misunderstanding, you can't just say, well, you're dumb, and you understand it incorrectly. There's also something wrong with how you communicated it. Yeah. And and you might just need a little switch or an explanation or something. But I think more is needed. I think, Zen, you and I definitely get this because we both are teachers. You're more of a teacher than I am. But... Um, when you're teaching somebody, and that's what you're doing with your rule books, is you're teaching somebody something. Um, the difference is, is you aren't physically there to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to convey everything you want to teach them. When you teach something to somebody in real life, you often have to present the same information two different ways. Um, 
even in the same sentence. And sometimes it seems repetitive, but for like some, everybody learns completely different. Yeah. Um, some people are more visual, some people are more auditory, some people require a good mix of both. And so when you write your rule books, it's really important to present the same information. And I would say at least two different ways. At least, and yeah. so you, you have the written method and then you have a graphical one and you might even have like a call out like Aaliyah does where mm -hmm. they write. And I do this all the time, even if it's a game that I haven't played yet from Aaliyah, like if I, when I was learning castles of Burgundy for the first time, I would read the like massive wall of text about a section. And then I would go and read the bullet point on the side. That was just like a rapid summary of it. Yeah. And sometimes the bullet point would really like crystallize what they were trying to convey in the yeah, rules. Yeah, that's for a really me. good way of saying it, crystallized, because that's what it is. That's crystallized knowledge. Um, and Haba does the same thing, right? If you guys, mm -hmm. and we all love Haba. We're big fans mm -hmm. of Haba here at that Maple Syrup Show. And uh, they do the same thing in their in their little side column marginalia, where it's like literally like four or five steps, and then over here it's like one sentence, and it comes from teaching children. It comes from the idea of this is what the core of this whole big paragraph is, is you need to score in this way, or, you know, knights are worth one, dragons are worth two, or whatever it is over there. But all the rest of the fiddly bits are over here. And so yeah. my kids can actually play a Haba game when they were much younger. They're quite old now. When they're younger, they could play a Haba game just by reading the margins. And that's brilliant when you think about it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm just noticing the time and oh, yeah. sadly we need to wrap, but, um, great episode talking about, you know, editing rules, drafting rules, layout, all those kind of things when it comes to the rule book. Oh, quick uh, question. Quick question. Yeah. yeah. Spirit of the game versus, you know, laws. What do you think? In things oh. like party games and things like that. How do you get past that? How do you get yeah. past people who I mean, gamers who are so into you must have a really excellent scoring system in a party game. Yeah, I, no, I'm I'm not that person. I love I love throwing away the rule book when it comes to party games. How about you, Tiff? Um, I I'm with you. If it's a party game, I like having I think code names does a really great job of this. They lay out the rules and they say this is how this works. And they have a great part in code names because it's team based where they say mm -hmm. Your the spy masters are each other's judges, mm. like. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do have that part. Yeah. So whoever you're playing with, depending on who, if you're the spy master, whoever your co spy master is, like yeah. how that game plays is totally between the two of you. Yeah. And so you guys can sit and discuss and figure stuff out. And so they do outline some specific cases where the other spy master can like flag you for stuff. Sure. But then they have this entire page where they talk about like random edge cases and every single time they do a random edge case they describe the random edge case and then they go it's up to you like yeah. they're like you could do this but really it's up to you like they do that yeah. for everything so they have yeah. that great mix of like if you do want to play by the rule book versus if you just want to go it and we did a co i hosted a codenames tournament a couple weeks ago and we had a team that was coming in and practicing for the tournament like every week and what? they were playing oh no they were like serious they ended up winning which was fitting but like they had a thing where they were playing to the word of the letter for every rule in that rule book that's right. what i meant spirit letter of the law spirit of yeah, the law, letter yeah. of the law so spirit they were sure. they were going to the letter of the law and so like all the optional rules they had been like no we're doing this 
And so at the tournament, they they like got a little, there was a minor hiccup where they got a little peeved because we were like, no, we're not going to do that one. And they were like, what do you mean? Oh God. <laughs> I trained so hard. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's I mean, the, I mean, that even illustrates, you know, your motivation, right? Like competitive yeah. versus um, are you playing for fun? You know, and from each group, you know, I'll play with people that really are focused on winning. And that's still fun for me. Like I can play with a bunch of people that, you know, the, they're playing intensely and then I can enjoy, you know, where everyone's just laid back. I mean, the first, the game that I think of is concept um, when it comes to like a game that I n- never really care about the rules. I don't think I I've just, ever read the rules. I, I just care about the experience. I don't care about how you score it. It doesn't matter. I got introduced to it. Uh, there was a ton of people playing and then they just, you know, called me over and said, join in. It was and 3 a.m. in the morning. It was 3 in the morning and it was just fun. You know what I mean? Like it was just like that type of scenario where you just join in, you have a good time with the game, and from then on, I just didn't really care personally because the spirit of the game was captured in just the yeah. experience. So yeah, the essence of it is there, and the experience is fun. So I think it really depends on the group. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and when you learn it, because like I was thinking about it, and and code names again, like there are definitely times when I play code names and I haven't played code names in a really long time. And we never, like the first time I played pictures, mm-hmm. we skimmed the rules and it says, if you've played code names, do this. And it's like a paragraph. that's like, the rules are the same. Good job. Yeah. And like, we didn't look at the rules ever again. And then I was playing with another group and they wanted to know, like they were <laughs> like, what is the rules and what is this difference and For stuff sure. like that. So yeah. I guess it depends on your, your intentions when you play. So provide good rules. For but both. then play games the way your group wants to play it. So then you have the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. That's a whole nother house topic. Really but, that's a whole uh, nother show. House that's rules. That's a whole nother show. House okay. rules. Oh, house rules. Oh, man. So um, on that note, uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone. Uh, anyone who's traveling to Essen, travel safe. For the rest of yeah, us man. that Essen can't, I don't know what Essen knows. Saint. A saint. It sounds like no, S- no, no, no Essen. I don't know. Us other people will be jealous and living vicariously Wasn't... through others. And we will. Oh, you know it? I think it was Essen. Essen. Like, like apostrophe T. Essen. Yeah. Essen. I think that was it. Maybe. We'll see. Well, on that note, uh, we just, uh, we'll, we'll have a preview show and kind of keep a, a tabs on what will be happening. Um, and then we'll look forward to hearing from Tiffany when she comes yeah. back. If she can't. I mean, I do have in. like access to the Meeple Syrup Twitter. I could just like yep. randomly. Yeah, oh, you so, can live tweet that whole event. There you yeah. go. Oh, so God, Tiffany, I Tiffany just hopefully will share some stuff. Maybe she'll also echo it a few times through. Uh, yeah, or, or, we'll, or we'll retweet on yeah. people's syrup. Um, yeah, and if you're at Essen, go look for Jay at the WizKids booth. He'll be demoing a game by myself, Josh, and him. And Tower uh, London might be there. Rock, paper, wizard. Really? Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, so check them both out. We're supposed to both be releasing at the same time, I think. In January? Oh, maybe you're earlier then. Oh, yeah, I just asked, and he and Zev said he's probably going to be... He didn't think it would be that quick, so I think maybe. Oh, well, I mean, ours is just cards too, right? You have stuff. We have a board and jazz. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, so maybe you know, we're supposed to be in March. All right, we'll see you guys later. It's very nice to talk to you all. Enjoy the cool, balmy, balmy's opposite of cool. The cool weather in in Portland. We'll see you all later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.